Song number 23. We'll use that certainly after the lesson this evening, and we're certainly hopeful, thankful that each of us have been gathered together in the way that we are. The good news shared about the condition of Deborah Chaffin. We're so thankful for that change that, that apparently is for, for the better, at least looking very positive. And certainly thankful for any improvements any of our sick have, have, have been able to, to certainly make. Tonight we continue a series of lessons that we have been involved with for at least some time at this point. The tenth installment in this series. The entirety of it has surrounded the Holy Spirit. Reflecting, using the Word of God upon the work of the Spirit in various avenues of our life. This opening slide will be merely a very brief and quick attempt to summarize at least the topical fashion of each one of those services. All those lessons we began all the way back in April with an understanding about who the Holy Spirit is. And from that point to most recently, the consideration at the bottom, the general work of the Spirit related to those works of the Spirit described in Galatians chapter 5. And along the way, all the various particulars we've considered have hopefully been a help to us. Tonight, we come to the 10th installment. What connection is there between the Holy Spirit and prayer? That is to say, when you and I pray to God, is there any involvement of the Holy Spirit in that activity? If so, what is that involvement? And in what way does the Word of God deliver or at least reveal those aspects to us? As we continue in that series, then in the next slide, why don't we at least devote a moment or two to make a few general comments about the concept of prayer, and that will provide us with a foundation to see how the Spirit might be able to afford help to us a bit later in the lesson this evening. As you can see at the top of that slide, I think each of us would readily agree to the fact that as Christians, one of the most amazing, one of the most powerful and one of the most remarkable attributes of the Christian life is the capability and the assurance that's ours that when we pray to the God of heaven, He will hear the prayers of His children. And we know that as God reacts to those prayers then, that things can change or things in fact may develop in an otherwise different way than they would have. In Psalm 34 verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Now David made that statement in the ancient days of the long ago, that again, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and He is such that His ears are open to their cry. You'll notice furthermore in James 5.16, perhaps the most familiar verse along that line to us, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We believe that because isn't it true that in the avenue of prayer we are approaching the great one, someone far greater than the human being, someone far greater than any combination of human beings. This is the limitless God, the one who spoke this universe into creation, the one who overrules all of it. Hebrews 1 verse 3. For those reasons, you and I then appreciate the great opportunity and the power that does exist in the avenue of prayer. But you and I can take that a step further using these assurances. Psalm 55, 22. To any faithful person, listen to this promise. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. 
How often have you relied upon that passage? To realize that God will never suffer the righteous to be moved, never to be forced aside from a place of standing acceptably in His sight. He'll never permit it. In other words, He'll never cast us off. Now, we may choose to forfeit Him or leave His faithfulness, but He will never leave us. For that reason, you may notice that text in Matthew 19, 26. Jesus, speaking on that occasion, said, With God, all things are possible. It is amazing then to appreciate the blessing that's ours to petition a being that great and realize His ears are open to our pleas, our cries, our supplications. Amazingly, that study continues like this. That verse we noted a moment ago in Psalm 55, or rather Psalm 34, you may notice that it's quoted almost verbatim and appears in 1 Peter 3.12. Now this time it's in the heart of the New Testament. Listen with me to this marvelous promise. For the eyes of the Lord are in every place, and His ears are open unto the righteous. And therefore as righteous, we appreciate that God's ears are open to our pleas. His ears are open to our cries, to our prayers. How often have you and I been thankful for the avenue of prayer? To pray unto God, and God takes care of that situation. He, in fact, addresses it in some direct way and offers an answer much like the way in which you and I prayed it. I know that's happened in the lives of many of us. And how often we have been comforted, our faith has been strengthened, as we know and appreciate the power in prayer. But let's journey one step further. These verses we've just noted so far, and a host of others that we shall see shortly, seemingly assume that a Christian is a praying person. In other words, the Word of God reflects it like this in Matthew 6, "...when ye pray," apparently assuming then that as Christians we will be frequently in prayer. We will be often given to it. No wonder then some of those bottom statements are ours. I thought I would take just a moment and impress upon us a text from John 9 verse 31. In a world of almost 8 billion people now, we realize of course so many who've chosen and are not children of God. John 9 31 says, God heareth not the prayers of sinners. One of the things you and I then can appreciate is when we choose to not be faithful or slide aside from faithfulness, God has made no promise to answer that kind of prayer, the prayer of an individual like that. What He has promised is those that are faithful, those that are righteous, those who are the saints of God. He has promised to not only have an ear attentive to those prayers, but that, of course, we know He has promised to answer. Now, admit the answer might be no, but at least he's promised to afford an answer. The next observation then, why don't we take just a moment and make an incredibly quick set of considerations. This concept of prayer, the first time that the word is used in the Old Testament in the connection that we're making with it tonight is in Genesis chapter 20. You may recall at this point, Abraham had said, she's my sister, speaking of his wife. And ultimately, Abimelech had taken Sarah into his number, and so he had another man's wife at that point. 
But the God of heaven in approach to Abimelech said, You let her go, and you follow that which is my command, and I'll have Abraham my servant pray for you. So here was an instance when this faithful man Abraham was going to be able to petition and approach God on behalf of another, and God would afford a degree of deliverance, a degree, if you will, of well-being on behalf of Abimelech if that were to happen. Oh, what greatness there is in prayer. You can notice a few of these other occurrences. In 1 Samuel 2 verse 1, wasn't it true Hannah prayed? She was barren at the time. But you and I remember that she soon would bear a son named Samuel. Here was a woman who again was earnest in prayer. Even Samuel didn't understand it fully, but God hearkened to her prayer. Beyond that, we could mention... 1 Kings 8, 28, when Solomon's marvelous prayer at the dedication of the temple, praying in humility, praying for the great blessing of God upon that people, upon that which would occur at that building. In Daniel 9, we have arguably one of the greatest prayers in the Old Testament. Daniel praying for the well-being of his people who had been given to sin and who were then in captivity but he knew and he recognized God's promise through the prophets that after 70 years they'd be delivered. And he prayed unto God that that might come to pass. We could close all of that with an interesting prayer in Jonah chapter 2 of a man praying from the belly of a great fish. That prayer was answered. It was in fact answered amazingly. But we could turn the page into the New Testament and notice many other passages that detail prayer. We might well begin in the first instance in Matthew chapter 5. The first placement that this idea occurs, and it's praying for enemies. Isn't that interesting? But that's the first of only many to follow. And in Luke 11 verse 1, Jesus taught His disciples to pray. It's interesting then to appreciate that it shouldn't be done haphazardly, but there's a thing you can teach others about offering it acceptably. When one thinks about prayer in that way, we do see in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, that lovely attribute of constancy and ongoing development with respect to it. As you and I close that slide, we notice the text we've already noticed, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All of that, though, begs us to notice our connection to the Holy Spirit still has not been made evident. What connection does the Holy Spirit have to our prayer lives? Let's start on this slide by perhaps appreciating this. Let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. In this passage, we have what may appear to be a very interesting presentation. It reads as follows, I exhort therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. If we merely pause at that point, as Paul addressed these thoughts to Timothy, insisting that in the context of that congregation that was at Ephesus, Timothy makes sure that there's a general understanding that there are these categories. Supplications prayers, 
intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now you and I at first wonder, may consider, what's different about these? What's different between a supplication and a prayer? Well, I've offered at least some quick thoughts because these are natural parts of the prayers we offer to God. There are times we make supplication to Him. And that literally means we make an entreaty to Him. We are specifically asking Him for something. We want His intervention. We want His direction toward the accomplishment of a particular task. It may be something related to our lives, or it may be something in the life of another. But you'll notice the second word in the list is the word prayer. That word prayer is a much broader term. It literally has to do with an issue that is an approach regardless of whether it's asking for something or not. And therefore, even thanksgiving would be included in this. But notice the third possibility, an intercession. This one is a specific entreaty in which one beseeches God to intercede in the life of somebody else. They may not even be appreciative of what it is they're doing, but you're petitioning God that He might intervene in their life in a way to bring about a far greater end, a far more faithful and better end. The last one is giving of thanks. There are times when our heart rushes to merely express thanks to, for what God has done, either relation to something He's done physically for us or something He's done spiritually for us. Paul encouraged the congregation there at Ephesus to be mindful of those categories. With them in mind, though, look at the bottom of this slide. Are there any problems in the prayer lives of a Christian? Do you have any issues or problems related to your life of prayer? I know I can certainly say my prayer life isn't perfect. There are things that could be better. Here are some things the Bible reveals that each of us can at least think about. For one thing, maybe a given Christian doesn't pray as often as he or she should. Look at this verse in Luke 18, 1. Jesus, on that occasion, in teaching, said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That seemingly directly tells us that on those occasions when we faint beneath some load or beneath some challenge in life, it may well be we didn't pray enough as we headed into that particular challenge. Or maybe we weren't earnest enough in prayers related to that particular matter. Men, Jesus said, ought always to pray and not to faint. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that passage we noted earlier, pray without ceasing. We find in the life of Jesus, frequently He was given to prayer. Am I as often prayer as I could be, as I should be? That's something each of us can at least ponder. Maybe there's another problem, though, that could develop. What about this one? In Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus there in teaching pointed out that there were those who prayed with vain repetitions. Jesus said, that ought not be done. What is a vain repetition? It very much is as the name suggests. It is the usage of this phrase, the usage of this idea that perhaps one has heard so many times and one does it by habit. 
without really reflecting on and thinking about what one is actually praying. Perhaps there's something in that for each of us to seriously consider. Have you been in congregations where perhaps an individual, a given man is leading in prayer, would say, God, guard, guide, and direct us. Now, there isn't anything wrong with that, as long as we're mindful of that which we're asking. But if one is habitually and ritually making that without even reflecting on what's involved in it, that really is a vain repetition. Our prayers are such that we just need to have an, a degree of wisdom and understanding with respect to them. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. Our prayers ought not ever be just vain repetitions, but understanding behind that which we're praying. Maybe there's another possible problem. Could it be that we fail to ask in faith? Do we really believe that God can and will give what we're asking. We're told in these passages, I'll simply ask you to note James 1 verse 6. If one fails to ask in faith, what are we told there? Let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. If we don't believe that God can and will answer our prayers, then we have a bit of an issue in faith. We're told in the Word of God to, in fact, take care of that difficulty. To always ask in faith, don't doubt. A double-minded man, we're told. James 1 verse 8 is unstable in all his ways. So these issues could become matters in our prayer lives, but there's yet more. What about asking amiss? James 4 verse 3. Here, James is describing an individual who they have not asked properly. That is to say, they've asked for things that are selfish, without recourse for the well-being of others or the circumstances at large. They're only interested in these particular matters, and so they've asked amiss. May you and I never be guilty of that, but always ask according to the will of God. But perhaps another problem. May I suggest there are times when our heart is sufficiently heavy, when circumstances seem so great and beyond our capacity to control, and they seem so beyond our understanding that maybe we would wish to know what to pray, but we just don't know what words to use to pray for it. Maybe you and I have been in situations like that. Things seem so overwhelming. Things seem so inundating that we just simply are at a loss for words. I would offer that certainly is a possibility. Maybe with regard to health issues, with regard to grand issues in the family, let's face it. Some of the things that affect us the most are decisions that people make who we love the most. When they are making a decision and we know up front it's not good, we know that it's not going to lead anywhere good for them, and yet we seemingly, despite our best efforts, they won't listen. They move continually along this direction that's not wise. And so we pour out our heart to God, and maybe in a case like that one, we just don't exactly know how to word what we want to say. Perhaps another possibility. Maybe in light of a prayer, one fails to ask it in the name of Christ. We're told, for instance, in John 14, 13, that we must make sure to ask according to His name. 
I would offer all of those as possibilities that could be issues in the life of the prayer of a Christian. But may I say that there's one out of that group that will be the focus of our lesson for the remainder of the night. The lesson text that Andrew read earlier was Romans chapter 8. In the 26th verse of that chapter, we have this presentation. Romans 8 verse 26. In order to prepare us for some of the development of that passage, I'd like to share at least a little background to the character of that chapter. It is arguably one of the greatest New Testament chapters. Because of what it promises and offers to Christians. Now, I'd be quick to say Romans chapter 8 is a very, very little comfort to anybody that's not a Christian. In fact, it's a very strong element in danger and warning. Look at how the chapter begins. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if one's not in Christ, all of these blessings that are about to be listed, that person does not have them. But among those that that person does have, the person who is in Christ, look at verses 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit is a critical part of that individual's life in that through the Word, the Spirit leads and guides, and the Spirit gives life. The person is spiritually alive. Furthermore, verses 14 to 16, you are such that you are an heir of God a joint heir with Christ. That blessing is afforded to the child of God. Furthermore, in verses 20 and following, you get into what may be perceived as a deeper section of the chapter, but verse 26 is found right in the midst of it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. To finish that journey we were making a moment ago, the chapter finishes up with the tremendous set of observations such as these. If God be for us, verse 31, who can be against us? Now the child of God is, of course, on the side of God, living for God. And so you realize God's on your side. Verses 35 and following, that very memorable set of verses, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Promises for the faithful. Promises and rewards to those who are children of God. And in the midst of that is this verse 26 that discusses prayer. Let's step our way through that verse somewhat more slowly. The first word of the verse is likewise. That connects the development of this verse to those things that have been presented before. That section of verses that highlight the great purpose of God in Christ, which you and I have adopted. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities means that which is an ailment, that which is a shortcoming, 
that which is not as great as it could be. The text says the Spirit helps us. You and I, on a daily basis, or at least as often as needed, have the marvelous promise and wonder of the Spirit assisting us, helping our, our particular infirmities. Paul, could you explain more? The verse goes on. The word for is an explanatory word. It's an explanatory conjunction. It says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We might need to take a moment and appreciate this fact. God is infinite in that He is not bounded by time. That is to say, He knows and understands well what the future that you and I would appreciate is. You and I only, perhaps at most in general, know it, but we know nothing of its particulars. Sometimes we don't even know its generalities. And therefore, when you and I pray to God, maybe we pray in light of the moment. For in our judgment, that really is in the best interest of the moment. But God, not being so limited, knows that what is true in the moment is going to be nothing related to what's going to be true in the future. And so our prayer, which is our best understanding for the moment, will not be nearly sufficient for the particulars of appreciating what occurs in the future. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. Even at our best, even when we are not subject to those failings I noted on the previous slide, even when in the power of trying to appreciate what is the will of God and praying consistently for it, our understanding may be insufficient. The particulars of the details may be such that we don't know how to pray for it as we ought. What happens in a case like that? Let's read on. But the Spirit itself. Here's a case when the King James has not done us a favor. That word itself should be more properly rendered himself. We learn back in the opening lesson, the Holy Spirit is a divine personality. It's not an it. It's Him. And so you notice, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now some of the details on that slide are such that I would ask each of us to reflect on the Spirit's role in prayer then. Because Paul here specifically says that on those occasions when we know not what we should pray for as we ought, there is an avenue by which the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. Now the making of an intercession for us, notice it's on our behalf, and this intercession is such that He intercedes to God for us. Some of the details about the middle of the slide are such that it would seem even the Old Testament prepared us for this reality. In Zechariah 12, verse number 10, even in the Old Testament, it is there said that the Spirit is the Spirit of intercession, meaning that the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of others, in this case Christians, and does so, of course, in their best interest. Aren't you thankful for a verse like this one? Let's read on. It says that this tremendous blessing 
leads us to appreciate this. But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That word groanings literally means sighings. It's almost as if the Spirit is led to express in elements of size what's on the heart of this Christian, but which the Christian has not had the capacity to speak. Maybe again, you and I have been in circumstances much like this. I would afford that in verse number 27, the very next verse, this explanation continues. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you and I have prayed perhaps to the best of our capability, and yet that in light of what the future holds is not perhaps what should be best, the Spirit knowing that intercedes for us and prays according to verse 27 in what would be more directly related to the will of God. Now may I say that as we have given thought to that, that's rather deep and it's rather profound. And maybe we could say this, We should be thankful for verses like this one that remind us that the Spirit really is acting on our behalf. But might we never forget this is only a blessing for a faithful saint. A person who isn't a faithful child of God, this brings no comfort at all to such an individual. This brings no helpful consideration at all, for it's only the infirmities of the faithful that the Spirit intercedes on behalf of. As you and I close that slide, maybe it only prepares us for one or two final comments as we seek to understand it. The Spirit makes intercession for us with sighings, verse 26, these sighings, it is said, which cannot be uttered. Now, there have been a few other phrases in the Word of God for which something like that occurs. You might recall that when Paul was taken to the third heaven, he heard things which could not be uttered. What kind of language is descriptive of what happens in heaven? I do not know. It is described in 1 Corinthians 13, 3 that there is the language of angels. We don't know what that language is. But we know here that what the Spirit is speaking with regard to these matters, it says cannot be uttered but you and I can be thankful that it's taking place. And thankful that we have an avenue with the Father such that the Spirit is acting when necessary in these ways on our behalf. What a tremendous faithful blessing that is to the child of God. One last thought in the lesson certainly will be yours and mine tonight. There's a phrase that occurs in Ephesians 6.18 that admonishes the Christian to pray in the Spirit. I know that as we collectively pray here as the congregation, it's always our desire to pray the specifics that would be according to the Word of God. But may I suggest that each of us, even in our personal prayer life, ever be interested in and excited to pray in the Spirit, meaning that we pray to the best of our capability, but certainly giving thought to the fact that when our infirmities are sufficient, the Spirit can intercede on our behalf. The Holy Spirit in prayer. Let's close our lesson like this.
we can rest assured that based on a verse like this one, the Holy Spirit is active and appropriately so in the prayer lives of children of God. I hope that you and I find great comfort in that thought and that we find tremendous blessing from God in the reality of it. Because after all, that faithful child of God has none other than the Holy Spirit Himself offering signs which cannot be uttered, interceding on our behalf in the avenue of direction toward God. Tonight, what about your life and mine? Are we living as faithful children of God with a prayer life that would be appropriately so? I hope we've been motivated in that regard tonight. If there's anything amiss in your life and you would wish public prayer to God on your behalf, don't you know that could happen tonight? And you could leave this building resting assured of God's promised forgiveness of anything that stands between you and Him known publicly. Tonight, if we could be of help to you in that regard, in that way, we'd be delighted to do it. If you perhaps have never become a Christian, why not tonight? No better night than this one. We're going to stand and sing this chosen hymn of encouragement. If anyone would wish to respond to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come. All together we stand and while we sing.